0: Welcome to Showcase Chicago Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Reyes, a chicago realtor with ARE Partners. And in this podcast, we delve into the heart of all things Chicago, real estate, and life, as we engage in authentic conversation about some of the most significant decisions we make. In today's episode, I'm excited to have Lane Cheesebro, a colleague of mine from Coldwell Banker. And today, we'll be recapping the 2023 real estate market, what to expect in 2024, and I have some exciting news to share about how I leveled up in 2023. Lane, thank you so much for being here, and it's an honor to have you on the Showcase Chicago podcast. Uh, Let's start with a little bit about you, what made you come into the real estate industry, and uh, give us a little background about who you are. Introduce yourself.
1: I appreciate it. Um, Well, happy to be here, Uh, first time podcaster now, so this is kind of me getting my first reps in, but uh, been in the business eight years, so I got my license in real estate eight years ago, 2016, and at the time i was also the executive director of a nonprofit, and so i was doing it mostly part time i transitioned over into full-time roughly four years ago now so as i kind of built my business up and just spent more time in the field went full-time and have been doing it ever since i always say that real estate allows me to stay connected to the city stay connected to people and those are kind of the two things that i love to do the most born and raised in chicago so i grew up in hyde park i currently live in bronzeville I have a wife and three kids, so um, South Side roots in that way.
0: I will just add that your family is absolutely beautiful. Uh, <laughs> you have the it, best family, it. three kids. I mean, I stalked I, I to social media for a bit, <laughs> and I went back and saw you guys are husband's sweethearts. It. Yes, we right,
1: are, right. She, uh, so for those that know Chicago, she went to Lane Tech. Oh, so yeah, I did, uh, yeah,
0: lived right next to Lane Tech for many years.
1: She's a Northwest Sider, and then I went to Kenwood Academy, which is Southeast Side. So um, How'd you guys meet? Now, this
0: is a completely different episode. And, But that's okay. How did
1: you guys meet? We met at a swim meet. So uh, I grew up swimming competitively most of my childhood. And so I was at Lane Tech for a swim meet. She was a block um, timer, or at least was spending time with the block timers. And that was our original, I guess, opportunity to meet each other. I'll have to tell you the full story because this is how it went.
0: Yeah, Uh, please. uh,
1: You know, she caught my eye. So my best friend at the time bet me a dollar that I couldn't get her number. Okay. Um, I had to take him up on that bed, obviously. You know, it's high school. I evidently, according to her, found out her name prior to ever asking for her number. So I said to her, first line I ever said to her was, hey, Lorena, what's your name? This is what she says. I don't remember it all that way, but that's the way that we actually uh, met and were introduced. So that's so sweet and And you were
0: out you were in high school so
1: i was probably 16 at the time i think high school sweethearts that's amazing
0: thank you for sharing your family and i would love to meet them someday
1: it will happen i know that's gonna
0: happen for sure so one of the things that i love that we share in common is you're all over the city in different coffee shops and you do reels on your social media and i do the same thing with all the coffee shops that i attend and i'm actually working on an event at a coffee shop right now so uh yeah lots of fun stuff you learn in so many different neighborhoods I've been in Chicago my entire life mm-hmm. and you're still learning different things about the city.
1: Absolutely. And, and the neighborhoods change over time, right? Absolutely. So we have 77 of them, but each one changes um, a little bit at a time, maybe more than others. But I do want to hear more about the coffee yeah, <laughs> shop uh production. What do you got going on here?
0: Uh just well this is just a uh, uh so I actually had a home buyers workshop that I uh was asked to be the, the presenter of last month. Mm-hmm. But I'm doing another event similar to that, but this one will be Real Estate 360, your ultimate q a experience. So whether you're looking to sell, buy or invest, uh we're going to be hosting this event at the end of February, probably the last week of February. Um, either at a coffee shop, ideally at a coffee shop, I'm working on a couple of places to lock that down, or it will be at the North River Commission office, which um, they've asked me to uh, put this event together. So we'll actually have a lender uh, insurance broker, myself, and hopefully a real estate attorney as well. Nice. So we'll have a whole panel of experts to answer all your real estate requ- questions. And it's going to be very engaging, very back and forth. It's like bring any question you have and we'll help you with that.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. yeah.
0: So thanks for asking about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's at a coffee shop,
1: I may be in attendance. Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, let me know. Yeah, definitely. I'll let you know. And-
1: I work all over the city as you kind of alluded to, and I love traveling the city through coffee shops. So that's my bread and butter. I just actually worked with my first client that came out of my love for coffee. Um, he's a coffee shop owner as well, and reached out to find a place closer to his shop. And so that was a lot of fun to work with. And and just, I think that's what coffee shops offer is that opportunity for relationship building. Um, you're obviously a part of the community. You get a real sense of whatever that area is like. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you can never have too much caffeine. So, um,
0: my uh, doctor would would not agree with you, but we're working on it. <laughs> it. I call it the acceptable addiction, right? Because it definitely is that. All right, so let's uh, let's dive into the meat and potatoes of the episode. And uh, oh, actually, let's talk about the most important thing here that I'm really excited to discuss and share with everyone. I have a big announcement, um, and it goes with how he and I, Lane and I, met. So, how did we meet?
1: But we happened to be in a managing brokers class that was all of 15 students, roughly, somewhere in that range. And so we both landed in the back row and, uh, you know, the class was intimate enough that everybody participated. And because of that, you got a chance to really get to know people's uh, both work history, but also personality. And I think that we kind of hit it
0: off at that Mm -hmm. time. So so with that i've successfully passed my managing brokers course and i'm officially a managing broker uh, thank you yeah, thank no you problem. what does that mean right i think to level up my license. It opens up new opportunity. It elevates my my lessons, my training, my education in the real estate. It helps me to provide a better service for my clients. Um, and in the long run, I can certainly manage a team, manage an office, um, go out on my own, um, You know, join another brokerage to be their managing broker. So there's so much opportunity and potential with that mm-hmm. license. Um, not that I'm leaving my firm now, but... <laughs> Important note. <laughs> Important note. For me, it's about leveling up my offerings to my clients and making sure that I'm the the best broker for my clients. So that's why I got my license and I'm a managing broker now. So big announcement. Congrats Uh, and Lane is on his way.
1: So I have not taken the test yet and my reason for doing that is I wanted to make sure Michael was the only managing broker on this episode. So uh, I'll,
0: do it, I'll do it after the episode is over maybe. That is really great. Yes. <laughs> I'll, add the, I'll add the notes and you pass. So I appreciate that. So I'm the managing broker. He's the broker. Exactly. Exactly. There's a hierarchy <laughs> <up> here. Right. <laughs> it was a great class. There were so many standout brokers in that class. Everyone just inspired to push themselves to do better, learn more and do good by their clients. It was such a great class. So Michelle, what was her last Last name, our teacher.
1: She's Michelle Seminars on Instagram.
0: Michelle Seminars on Instagram. Most important. Most important. Yeah. So she was a great instructor. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, thank you. We uh, really enjoyed that class, and you're bringing brokers together. So Absolutely. it worked out. All right. So let's jump into 2023. What was the 2023 real estate market like in your experience for you and your clients? Uh, tell us about your recap of 2023. Yeah. I mean, I think.
1: Um, in terms of my own experience it was different obviously than the year prior um, i will say that i was happy with numbers over the course of the year if i can say it over the longevity of all 12 months there were certainly lulls that were much different than the year prior and i think that's something that everybody experienced um, in real estate you know this to be true as well but numbers were down 18 percent, i believe in my experience i sold less in volume than the year prior. So I think that's in line with very much what the expectations were given the market. So my numbers were down from 2022, but the market was down, right? What I found though in working with my clients, uh, which I think is more important than anything, is just the timeline change for a lot of clients in the year itself. So as rates really jumped and reached almost eight, uh, right around October, November, I want to say was in that range that's when you really felt one of the first halts of the year it reminded me of 2022 when rates i want to say first touch six maybe um but there was just a a lag as soon as that happened and i think over the longevity of the year over the course of the year buyers didn't quite know what to make of what was happening in the market because pricing never really dropped the way that they might have expected or were being told that it would any drops were mostly minimal in those markets. And so you have rates that continue to rise, but because inventory remains so tight, the actual values of those homes didn't necessarily come down to a sweet spot that buyers were feeling like they're getting all types of deals at. And so there was a lot of hesitancy, I would say in the market uh, throughout the year, right? At different points. Um, However, I think that those buyers who started their process earlier, this was my experience at least, Mm -hmm were more uh, ready to kind of pull the trigger when they found a home that they were ready and and, um, looking for. Whereas buyers who might've just entered the market in 2023 because they sat on the sidelines of 2022, they were more skittish throughout the whole year. That was kind of the experience that I had, so. Yeah.
0: The business itself, transactions for most people were down. A lot of that also was lost deals, which I don't know if you can relate to that or not. That was certainly something that I experienced personally. And it was, it really was rough because you, you know, you get to the finish line, like day of closing, it was losing the deal. Yeah. Day before closing. Mm -hmm. And I think that contributed to last year, high interest rates, as you've already mentioned, no inventory and buyer confidence just Mm being down, right? They're kind of getting, buying this property, they're paying a lot of interest. And then they get to close to the finish line, and then they found a reason to pull out. So I think you know, looking at my personal business, looking at other top producers in the industry, uh, looking at all the brokers in my firm, everyone was down.
1: I had a couple of deals that were lost in attorney review. Um, one of which was a condo that really the HOA was less than forthcoming with where they were on a special assessment, and so because of the new guidelines related to lending on condos, you can't have anything structural um, that's been deferred as maintenance, right? That could cause concern for the lender. And during the condo questionnaire, that definitely came up But the timeline given was not the timeline that was actually being produced. And so we were waiting and waiting and waiting in escrow until finally the deal fell through, right? Because they just weren't moving on the deal. The the HOA was giving us information, um, I guess through like the official communication but the project itself was just stalled completely and so that was
0: one thing that i think stood out to add to the 2023 recap we did both just attend the 2024 market outlook event, which is one of the annual events i go to every year since i've been in real estate for 11 years and it's um lawrence what's his last name i want to say Yoon. Dr. Lawrence Yoon is an economist.
1: He's the chief economist for the National chief Association. Chief
0: economist. And he always just has really great predictions and shared a lot of insight with us on, um, on that Market Outlook event. So what were some of the stats that stood out to you?
1: Well, I think one of the stats was that Chicago actually fared well compared to the rest of the nation uh, when it came to sales. So his outlook was snow. I remember this statement of snow, right? So if you, if you follow the weather, um, you always have somebody telling you what's going to happen with the weather. And it's not always the most exact, but they're giving you an idea of what to expect. And he was expecting that we were going to have quite a bit of activity um, in the 2024 season. I think we were talking a little bit earlier. We both experienced that already as we're in January. Um, We've always been talking about when does the spring market start, right? Clients are always asking that. It's an ongoing conversation in Chicago and I'm sure um, nationally. But because of our weather, you're never quite sure when things are going to pick up. But the last few years, I think we've had early starts to the spring. uh, And that certainly holds true this year, right? So for me personally, if I look at my own business, I'm actively shopping with a number of buyers that are ready to write offers on properties that they're looking for, that they're excited about. They're realizing that they're not the only buyers that are now ready to write offers on properties that they're looking for and excited about, and so we're seeing a lot of multiple offer situations already in the early going, or at least I should say, I am seeing that. Yeah,
0: it's still very much a seller's market. Yes, yes.
1: (laughs) But I think for me, the early going here feels like more often than not, a new property coming to market, properly priced, is getting a lot of activity. Uh, It's just getting a lot of activity, whereas. I didn't see quite as much of that certainly towards the second half of last year right um and so that is definitely back in play and that would be the second takeaway for me from the market outlook is that I think the Fed has said they're planning to cut three times this year. Three to
0: four times is what they're predicting. There,
1: yeah. And,
0: um, this is kind of going into our 2024 kind of uh, updates and predictions and uh, what we expect. So this is a great segue into that.
1: Well, and, <laughs> yeah. And Dr. Jung was saying somewhere in the range of four to five, I want to say, he said. Um, and I found it interesting that he thought or he predicted that rates would still hover in the sixes. So it would be, um, I think, uh, let's say... Not unusual, but it would be uh, serendipitous if we got to the fives, according to him. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but yeah. that's just my thought. And, and, and he was right <laughs> in line with that, right? Yeah. I think he was saying it's much much more likely that we'll stay in the sixes, but those cuts will probably be you know gradual cuts, and we're not looking at increases, which I think is the main difference, right? Absolutely. Whereas last year buyers were really seeing their rate float up and down depending on when they were in the in the year where they were in the year some condo rates were like eight two
0: eight three you know what i mean so it's yeah
1: well and then you get it you know you you can have almost a point difference depending on when you decide to buy as you're tracking it right and i don't see that kind of volatility happening this year based on what's being predicted so
0: the one thing i'll go back to on that is um and i often tell people this in terms of like January 1st I get so busy Mm -hmm. and it's really the spring market starts January 1st Um, I ended up choosing to go to New Orleans for Christmas this year and you know they say, if you want to get busy and you want business, go out of town. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened to me. And of course I was working in the French quarters doing my thing. Um, and I set up, you know, three new active buyers that signed buyer explicitly with me. I put a multifamily property under contract for one of my investor clients. Um, and as of January 1st, my phone has just been ringing. So it's like the spring market is started. It's hot. It's ready to go. Yeah. Um, and I think that again we're kind of jumping into 2024 predictions and 2023 recap but the biggest challenge we've had is inventory and of course rates and buyer confidence now the ch- what i foresee happening in this coming market is as these rates continue to drop prices continue to increase yeah and so like i've been saying all last year you may pay on the front end with the interest rate but you can always refinance later mm-hmm. versus now the price is going to go up and i want to say it was somewhere the prices may go up to like two, three, or 4% of the current prices.
1: So of the the major um, kind of platforms, the forecast looks like pretty much most are in line with three to 4%, I guess four being the high. And only one platform is actually predicting that we'll see a decrease in pricing. Oh, That's Realtor.com.
0: We should probably not plug (laughs) their name. Most of the major platforms are predicting an increase in price Uh, of 3 to, 3 to 4%. 4% gain, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can see that definitely happening as these rates continue to decline this year. And, you know, it's also an election year. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of talk about how rates fluctuate, uh, and, you know, as the closer we get to the election. Mm-hmm. And so I foresee that happening for sure. You know, what I'm really excited about rates dropping and I'm hoping that what happens is that it encourages sellers to sell, right? Cause people need to move. That was one of the other things that I took away from the market outlook event is, uh, people have been sitting tight because they've been afraid of the market not wanting to sell but people are still having babies people are still outgrowing their spaces Mm -hmm. people are still changing jobs Mm -hmm. um they could afford more they need more space 3 million people are getting married, so mm-hmm. they need to upgrade from, you know, maybe right, a smaller right. home to a larger home. You know, 1.5 are divorcing. No. You know what I mean? It. So people need to move, <laughs> you know what I mean? But they've been they've been sitting tight and holding strong in these low rates that they've had. Um, so I'm hoping that as these rates drop, we will start to see more people selling because that's what we need. We need more people to sell.
1: Well, inventory, and, and I think a lot of times you hear realtors talk about, your local market, right? And I think this is where it truly applies. There are certain markets in Chicago where if you're looking for a certain product, let's say a three-bedroom, two-bath condo, or even a two-two in some cases, um, a single-family home detached, the inventory is so tight that you're looking at maybe a handful of homes uh, if you're lucky. And you're not the only buyer shopping for that handful of homes. And so that's where you get into this competition around pricing because It's really hard to negotiate down pricing in some instances unless it's overpriced when there's just nothing else out there to to gauge it against or even to try to find leverage against it, right? And I think that is something that I've become really aware of this last year, right? I think with inventory being so tight, there were certain times you run comps and you go back two years, there's nothing selling, right? Because there's just been such a tight inventory of sales. Um, And certainly if a, a seller... I think sellers also have a little bit of panic around rates Mm -hmm. when their property sits, Mm -hmm. right? So you list a property, it doesn't move within the first month, and you know rates are high, you wonder where your buyer is. And I think there are those sellers out there as well. And that is the biggest difference right now, I think, going into 2024 is sellers have a lot of confidence with listing their home right now as opposed to the tail end of 2023. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel that difference, um, and I don't know if the numbers will support it, but in the early going, if you list your home right now, you're getting quite a bit of activity if it's brand new to market. So,
0: Yeah. Well, thank you again for all of your insight and uh, your experience and your um, predictions for 2024. Uh, I, I think overall I'm excited for this year. I think that 2024 is going to be a... I think 2024 is going to be what I thought 2023 was going to be for me and my personal business, not in the overall, you know, overall, but I'm excited for it. Rates to drop, buyer confidence to get stronger, sellers to sell, please. Uh, And call me, Uh, call one of us. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so that's kind of 2024. Now, the one thing I will talk about in terms of what's affecting our overall industry, there has been a lot of talk and I've certainly talked to a lot of clients and I have had calls from my clients and my investor clients in particular about a big lawsuit that Mm. is affecting our industry. Um, And what the lawsuit was in the state of Missouri, Mm. there are several pending that are similar, Copycat, Copycat copycat lawsuits that are pending that they were suing several of the big Uh, real estate brokerages in Missouri, as well as the National Association of Realtors. And ultimately, the lawsuit was saying that the buyer's brokers were an ethic violation because the buyer's commission was a cooperative commission was technically being paid by the seller. Right. And so it was it was making a lot of headway in our industry um, and it's changing the way that our business is currently running. Uh,
1: Basically arguing that as a buyer's agent, you have a conflict of interest by getting paid by the seller's side. And I think that is something that in the industry is different than looking at it from outside the industry, if I can say it from my vantage point. So uh, I remember my first deal, uh, when I first bought a piece of real estate, I wasn't an agent at the time, so I didn't represent myself. My brother-in-law was in the business, so he represented me. And so I saw the way the process played out, but there is a element to the process that you think of is, wow, it's interesting that the buyer's agent is getting paid by the seller, essentially because of their relationship or their listing agreement with the seller's brokerage. One thing I'll
0: just add to that is technically everything's being paid by the buyer, but that's a whole other side of the conversation. (laughs) They're Um, bringing that big bag of money to to the closing
1: table. Go Uh, ahead.
0: Sorry to cut you off.
1: So so I understand initially where that idea might come from, right? And I will say now having been in the business and certainly um, the way that the business operates from my experience, there is no conflict of interest from the way that I look at it personally. And the way that I argue that is, if you think about the, the negotiation around a price point, if you're working with an agent that is trying to figure out how to maximize their commission as part of that negotiation, one, you're talking about hundreds of dollars versus hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Because it doesn't really compute to try to you know, keep pricing up just to get paid a couple hundred dollars more. It doesn't make sense, at least once again, from my own personal vantage point, um, so that doesn't add up, but I think from the the consumer standpoint or the client standpoint, they're not always aware of how those numbers play out. And so if it's simply being treated as kind of this panic that oh the seller is actually paying the buyer's agent to bring me to the closing table, so they must be getting more money to bring. There can be that idea that somehow they're not being represented fairly. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that stood out stood out to me about the lawsuit is I always have that conversation with the clients that I'm working with, whether that be the seller and Putting together a listing agreement and explain what's going to happen with the commission that we're negotiating, or that be the buyer and explaining what's going to happen at a closing table and why there's a cooperating, um, you know, commission being offered on this property and actually what that cooperating commission is. I mean, I always disclose that because to me, um, those are transparent elements of a, a deal, a transaction that end up coming up in the closing table anyway. Mm-hmm. And I don't see any real reason to hide the way that brokers are being paid because you're performing a service to the best of your ability. We don't work for effect,
0: free effect, the bus. Effectively.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, and because of that, you shouldn't, to me, have to hide what you're getting paid to do your job.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's how I've looked at it. No, so,
1: yeah. So it, it also caught me just like I was caught off guard when I first saw from a, a consumer standpoint how commissions were being paid out. I was equally caught off guard by the lawsuit, which was suggesting that the listing agents or the agents involved were not disclosing to their clients how they were getting paid. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And of course, that could all be lost in communication. And who yeah. knows what's real? Because the lawsuit paid out a lot of money and lawyers collected most of it. Um, but, you know, when a lot of money gets involved, I think people can figure out their own stories, too. So
0: Absolutely. I think. The way that the structure exists now is to have full disclosure on both sides, fair representation, and the, the seller wants to maximize their marketing, right? market that property as much as they possibly can. Also, your best buyers are going to be buyers that are represented by a broker. Right? Right. You know, they're going to be the most qualified. They're going to have clear representation. Mm -hmm. They're going to be the ones who are going to save the deal. They're going to be the ones talking to the attorneys, Mm -hmm. the lenders, the inspectors, moving things along. There are so many moving parts to that. And a buyer who's unrepresented that has maybe no idea what they're doing, right? You don't necessarily want that (laughs) buyer. You know what I mean? And so I think it came out of necessity because there was so much not being protected on the buy side and the consumer protection, right? That's mm-hmm. the whole point. Mm-hmm. We're now clearly protecting the buyer's side of, of the transaction, the clients, as well as the seller, right? And You having, mean the current format is? Yeah, actually. the current format, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but as it's changing, which I will also add that I am actually excited about the lawsuit. Okay. <laughs> there you go, there you go, um, come sign it. You know, for me, uh, I, I think, okay, right, I think... I've already had these conversations with my buyers and my sellers. Mm-hmm. I've done, I have a lot of integrity, and in the way that I run my business is all about data and disclosure. Mm-hmm. Right? So, my buyers and seller consultations are next level. We're talking <laughs> about that. Yeah. yeah, and they are very detailed. I'm very thorough, and I don't want there to be no confusion. A lot of the times, I do videos, yeah. and I explain all this in videos to them so they can watch a whole 10, 15 minute video.
1: Right. Well, and, and to be frank, that's where I'm going to head with video as well, right? I mean, video lives on in perpetuity, so yep. you can always circle back to it. You can rewatch something that you're a little unclear on still, and I think that's changing a lot about real estate yes. in general. Yes, so makes a lot of sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, so what I think it's going to do is, I think since I run my business already with so much integrity and so much Oof. with so much transparency, um, I'm going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But I actually think I heard uh, 200,000 brokers have left in the nation have left the industry in the last year. And I do think that the brokers that maybe aren't doing this full-time or maybe aren't doing it to that level are going to leave the industry. And what does that mean for me and what makes me excited about this? The small, exciting part of this whole thing is that I'm going to have more business. Only <laughs> the professionals
1: will remain. Is
0: so oh, yeah. Obviously, only the professional, only the strong will survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds terrible to say. But, you know... My buyers know that ultimately, if my commission is not cooperatively paid, if I'm not being paid a cooperative commission by the seller or the seller's broker, mm-hmm. that they are responsible and liable for paying my commission.
1: They, they went over race and ethnicity. Oh, yeah. And the actual market outlook. There's two numbers that really were quite shocking. At the time of, uh, of the actual conference, so we'll say this is really current data, home seller race or ethnicity was 89% white. 5% Hispanic, 4% black, and 3% Asian, and then 2% was comprised of other. So that's the actual race and, and ethnicity of the sellers. And first time home buyers' race and ethnicity was 69% white, 7% Hispanic, 7% black, 6% Asian, and 6% other. And there's an argument that the, the way that buyer representation is being discussed and this idea that the buyer now becomes responsible for paying their own broker can prohibit folks from being able to enter the market as first time home buyers. And one of the reasons that argument is being made is because another set of data that came out from that market outlook was that 0% down payment was 16% of buyers last year. We're putting down 0% on a home. to 5% down payments was 22% of buyers. So that's a total of 38% of buyers are putting down less than 5%. Mm -hmm. If you're putting down less than 5%, you're covering your closing costs, assuming that you can't negotiate them. Are you ready to pay an additional cost to have representation by your your broker? Or would you fold that into the transaction itself, which is what has traditionally been done? Mm -hmm. And so I do think that there will be a way to solve this issue that doesn't involve money out of pocket for buyers. I think it might be an additional disclosure. It may be a a separate even negotiation, right? Where there's a price point that may involve the buyer's representation being paid. But I can't imagine that that starts to come out of pocket or needs to be liquid in cash mm-hmm. for those buyers that are struggling to get into the home to begin with.
0: Well, and I think to so those numbers, it's the minorities who are going to be, you know, unrepresented and not supported. And that's who's going to be most affected by this. Right. right. This lawsuit, you know, as it stands, does the case ultimately didn't. Pat or was won by the plaintiffs, uh, but they are working on the appeals. Um, you know, again, I think that clarity and uh, transparency is what's important. Uh, I do think that the way that it's currently the system currently is set up makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, and again, when I'm listing a property, I'm saying that I'm cooperating with other brokers because I want to make sure I bring in the best, most qualified, strongest buyers to this to your listing. You yeah. know what I mean?
1: And then I also think about there's a whole industry around wholesaling.
0: Mm-hmm. If you're
1: familiar with wholesaling, you know you basically go directly to a owner. Not always somebody who's even for selling their their house by owner, right? It's just somebody who owns a home. You offer a certain price point, and based on whatever you get that property under contract at, you're reselling it on the open market. You're basically marketing that property at a higher rate, and the difference then gets paid out. Well, that's basically a seller who's unrepresented. If we just You know, narrow it down to what's happening there, and that's a whole industry built around unrepresented real estate transactions. So if (laughs) if you do that on the buy side, you still have a similar dynamic, in my estimation, right? Where everything that we're tracking is very fluid; it moves quickly. You're pulling comps, you're tracking the market, being active in the market is a huge part of that. And for a buyer who's just entering and trying to figure out where their timing. That particular neighborhood, that particular property, that particular market, mm-hmm. very difficult to do without some kind of representation to add confidence. Absolutely. Um, and you alluded to this last part, which is once you're under contract, you're really just beginning. And without a buyer's agent working in, in unison with the buyer and really representing them, you could end up in a situation where every small thing that comes up creates panic and or nothing comes up because the buyer doesn't know what to even do go after in terms of what's wrong with the property, what comes out of an inspection, what they should know about condo association. So I just don't see it as something that really ultimately benefits either party, which is why I think there has to be some way of solving it um, to your original question, right? Absolutely. I, I can't see the direction we're heading being the, the end destination, I guess.
0: Absolutely not. I think it's mostly going to shift into just disclosure. I agree. More and more disclosure. Yeah. And I already do this, but I, I exclusively only work by buyer. Exclusive I remember franchise. this as well from our, our class. Yes. yes. Yeah, That's a lot to digest with this lawsuit. I definitely think uh, the industry is going to change and hopefully just get continue to get better, mm-hmm. right? The whole point of the national association of realtors chicago association of realtors is we have a higher level of ethics and requirements Mm -hmm. and what we are supposed to represent our clients with right and so we're only trying to do the best for the consumers and that's protecting their their interests we're having clear representation and both sides to win right there's a way to do this business where all parties win
1: right right
0: and so that's important and i think that this lawsuit will see what happens Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I loved your insight and your perspective. And uh, I foresee us collaborating more in the, in the future. So thank you again for being a part of the Showcase Chicago podcast. Uh,
1: I'll just say happy to be here and thank you for having me for sure.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Showcase Chicago podcast. If I can support you with your real estate needs, you can search Showcase Chicago or Michael Reyes on all social media platforms or go to www.showcase-chicago.com. Until next time, continue to live your best life. I'm Michael Reyes with ARE Partners. Thanks for listening.